in, in the book I speak to Rich Waterworth, who is the, the managing director of TikTok in the UK and Europe. And in the 2019 uh, interview, he was saying that his goals for 2020 was to age up the audience, and you know, they are now. I've reported on some leaked data um, from TikTok for Bloomberg um, over the summer which showed that one in four UK adults now use TikTok every single month, so 17 million people. Hello, welcome to the ZX Spectrum. My name's Lizzie Hodgson. And my name's Brandon Ralph. And today we're very fortunate to be joined by uh, Chris Stoker-Walker, who is a journalist and also an author uh, of a brand new book that we're going to be covering the topic of today. So, hello, Chris, how are you? I'm not too bad, thanks. How are you? We're good, we're good. Where are you at the moment? Where are you based? I'm in Newcastle, so 300 odd miles north of London, the rare journalist who lives outside of the M25, I think. It's actually oh. very, it's very nice to, to hear that. <laughs> it's great. Well, um, we're going to talk to you today about everything that is TikTok. Um, would you like to just give a little bit of background as to how you came onto this topic of TikTok and why, why it is that you focus so much on it and a little bit about yourself. Yeah, so um, I'm also a freelance journalist for a bunch of different places. And part of the reason that I got interested in TikTok and internet culture more generally is because I was initially interested in YouTube. And the reason that I was interested in YouTube was that I basically needed professional justification for spending all of my day in bed on YouTube. Um, so again, there was an underserved community of mm -hmm. journalism coverage on YouTube um, for a long, long time. So I initially focused a little bit on that and then moved on to TikTok when uh, it suddenly became apparent really that TikTok was kind of dominating this space. So yeah, I've, I've been kind of covering TikTok for um, a little while now. Um, speak to a lot of creators, have been to all the various events like you know, VidCon right before lockdown, obviously in yes. London we had VidCon, um, sort of three weeks before the Nightingale Hospital became the Nightingale Hospital essentially. And you know, speaking to various people within TikTok around the kind of ecosystem that is growing in the same way that you know, YouTube's ecosystem of kind of support um, economies and things like that popped up sort of five or ten years ago we're seeing the same thing now with TikTok but just way faster. So so with that in mind what was it that made do you think has made it explode the way that it has? I think it's a, it's a bunch of different things so you know, we can't overlook the fact that TikTok's fastest growth has come in the last year and the last year has been living under the shadow of the pandemic. You know, we are looking for more entertainment. We're looking for diversions. And so, you know, it's been very lucky in that it has coincided with this. You know, nobody wants to say that there have been kind of winners of the pandemic, but I think that TikTok is probably as close as you can get to that. But then it also benefits and has been growing before then because of the fact that A, the content is far more consumable, far more snackable. You, know, you don't have to devote, as you do now if you go onto YouTube for most things, at least 10 minutes maybe. You know, if you look at some of the, the feature length documentaries that creators are putting out there, you have to then plonk yourself down in front of a TV and watch for 90 minutes or more. Um, mm -hmm. 
TikTok short video format means that it is far more easily accessible and then the algorithm that monitors what you're watching and feeds back videos that it thinks you'll like is far better tuned because of the fact that it is throwing more stuff at you. Um, so I think that's kind of why it works and then just the fact that everybody can be a creator from it so it's it's kind of a perfect storm. Yeah I think I find um, TikTok very interesting because I kind of see it as one of the first of the new generation of social apps. I mean, nowadays we have Clubhouse and, and more recently Dispo. Um, and I think that there's, um, I think social media was kind of seen as a one game, you know, not too long ago. Um, and particularly in the last year, um, since sort of TikTok put itself on, on center stage, um, particularly in the media, it's been, um, really interesting to see i think that that there is actually room and space for new social networks um i mean tiktok kind of reminds me very much of um back in the day vine um and and it seems like a much more modern and, and thorough process of vine um but i find it really really exciting that that there is actually space and new room to grow um and if anything you know i think tiktok has the unique ability to be kind of highly focused on younger generations as well that maybe some of the, the the sort of older school social media channels are now um so you mentioned a bit about sort of the algorithm um, and i i mean anybody that's kind of got experience in the youtube space will know all about the infamous algorithm um how would you say uh the algorithm differs between sort of youtube and tiktok well this is the way that tiktok presents it is they distinguish between a social graph and a content graph. So, you know, a lot of, and it's a, it's a false distinction because they try and say that they're different to YouTube because YouTube relies on a social graph. It says people who you know like this, therefore you will like this, which isn't entirely true. It's, YouTube is also based on the content graph, but you know, TikTok makes a big deal of the fact that it is this content graph and that their algorithm is really looking at a lot of what you engage with, how long you engage with it, the quality of the engagement. <clears throat> and I think that's what, you know, it's what YouTube does as well, but it, it's kind of that TikTok has, has kind of built itself on the shoulders of giants. And it is interesting, you mentioned, you know, the, the connection to Vine and things like that. Um, you know, very deliberately has TikTok taken from those predecessors and tried to improve. So you look at the algorithm that they use and it is much more fine-tuned, much more fine-grained than YouTube's. You look at the way that they try and handle controversies. You know, one of my biggest bugbears has been over the last sort of five or ten years that YouTube has done very little about lots of the issues that it has with its platform. Whereas mm -hmm. TikTok is very proactively trying to head off a lot of those issues. And God knows they've had plenty of them over the last couple of years. But then you also have um, just basically that they are much more in tune and they are learning from the mistakes of their predecessors. So the volume aspect is is fascinating because you know i go into this in, in more detail in the book but you know one of the kind of key people who was involved in vine right at the time of its collapse so to zoom us back to kind of 2017 really briefly um 
the vine essentially got held hostage by you know kind of a dozen and a half or two dozen of its biggest creators who said pay us more money or we're going to take our audience elsewhere um one of the people who was involved in that negotiation she was literally in the room and she'd only relatively recently started is a person called karen spencer and in, in the book i talked to her about the lessons that she learned from from vine and um she's not you know an employee of tiktok or anything like that but they do every so often bring her in for a lunch and they just pick her brains about what went wrong at vine so that they can try and avoid replicating the same mistakes at tiktok so this is a a very tuned in company that i think knows what has gone wrong before and is trying desperately to avoid replicating those mistakes yeah so you mentioned your 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 book um TikTok boom do you want to give us a little bit of background how that came about and also um what's actually happening in the US with with the with with Trump and and you know maybe perhaps with Biden and all of the all of the um controversy around that yeah so the, the book is it's, it's not actually a sequel to a book that I did in, in 2019 on YouTube, but I, I spent probably 2016 or 2017 to 2019 writing my book about YouTube. And um, right as that got published, suddenly there was kind of the, the sort of breaking of the wave on the shore and the distance of this thing called TikTok. And it, it started to look like it might become a thing. And so, it seemed like a, a logical thing to follow up with something on TikTok. Um, took a little bit of convincing to the publisher and other publishers because one of the risks of doing a book on something that is so fast moving as social media is that you can bet on horses that don't necessarily finish the race. So for instance, you know, I know that there's at least one person who's writing a book about Clubhouse right now and is kind of doing the, the early research of that, but whether or not Clubhouse actually you know, breaks into the mainstream and continues to survive in the time it takes to finish a book and get it published is another question. So I was really lucky in that um, the publisher eventually got convinced and said, yeah, TikTok looks like it's gonna stay. And um, what's happened is that the more that I've got into reporting the book, the more TikTok has kind of wormed its way into the collective consciousness. And, you know, Brandon was talking about the relatively young user base. Um, you know, in, in the book, I speak to Rich Waterworth, who is the, the managing director of TikTok in the UK and Europe um, multiple times. So In the 2019 uh, interview, he was saying that his goals for 2020 was to age up the audience, and you know, they are now. I've reported on some leaked data um, from TikTok for Bloomberg um, over the summer, which showed that one in four UK adults now use TikTok every single month, so 17 million people. Um, but alongside that, we're seeing um, not just the idea of social media and how we use that and its impact on culture but we are seeing this huge geopolitical dimension so this is the first social platform or the first app or the first sort of content delivery system that is really based 
outside of that very small parcel of land in Silicon Valley that is coming to become a very popular worldwide thing. So we've seen the controversy in the US where Donald Trump basically decided that he was going to try and ban TikTok. And over the course of you know, the second half of 2020, there were all these rumors. Is TikTok going to be sold? Is it going to be sold to Oracle? Is it going to be sold to Walmart? Is it going to be sold to Microsoft? Um, and this increasing pressure to try and tamp down the success of this app because it's perceived as being um, an interloper almost because of its uh, origins in China. You know, the, the company, the parent company behind TikTok is ByteDance. ByteDance is headquartered in China. There is a parallel version of TikTok called Douyin, which operates in China. And if you want to see what's coming to TikTok in, in the West, you basically just look at Douyin and then add three or four months um, in terms yeah. of features and things like that. So all of these things have kind of, they got the go of Donald Trump a bit. Um, and that was, you know, it, it was an interesting time to be writing a book. And I'm still putting the finishing touches to it. But the second half of 2020 was, you know, I was just constantly in a state of stress because, you know, I would be writing a chapter and then suddenly there'll be a report that someone completely different is coming in to buy the company. Or I would finish writing a chapter and then there'd be a court case that I'd have to listen to on Zoom while I'm ironing my underpants. And, you know, all of these things are kind of just bizarrely happening. Um, looks like it's shaken out a little bit. You know, Joe Biden's given them a stay of execution. The latest thing is that the dates on the court case, um, TikTok put a, a lawsuit in to try and stop them from being banned in the US. The dates on that, uh, I think, are now April. So there's a two month reprieve basically until we figure out what the hell happens next. Yeah. I think it's um, it's been really interesting to watch and I always cast a thought to you whenever I see a new um, TikTok story break because I you know feel very sorry for the fact that you have uh, you're very much writing an active book and it feels like um, maybe not so much early this year but definitely in the, the last half of last year it felt like that there was kind of a new TikTok story breaking every single week um, particularly when rumours were circulating around who was going to buy it um i think it's been you know incredibly interesting to see you know essentially a social media for company for the first time come from outside of sort of the us circle uh you know do you think um it's kind of as bad as trump sort of made it you know i think from you know, my understanding anyway of, of how TikTok or operates and works, they don't actually store that much, if any, data in China surrounding their, their sort of Western operations. So, you know, is there, you know, a bit more of a wider political issue going on than an actual, uh, you know, concern about the security around the app? Yeah, so there's, there's two interesting things to kind of unpack there. One is, uh, yes, it was far more of a political issue. Donald Trump had to win the election. Donald Trump was not interesting enough or substantial enough in order to actually have his own policies on things. Donald Trump is a fighter. Donald Trump needs an opponent. Donald Trump didn't have an opponent because Joe Biden was not on the campaign trail. He was doing digital events and things like that. So Donald Trump couldn't say, sleepy Joe Biden. So instead he said, China is the enemy. This thing that is really popular is 
get the Chinese Communist Party manifest in an app that is coming to, I don't know, steal knowledge of your children's dance moves in their bedroom. I'm like, I still, the argument, it's been a really ongoing, long argument. And I constantly get asked this question on radio and TV and all sorts of, you know, is there a real threat behind this? <clears throat> and my, my argument is always, even if there was, and me and a lot of other journalists, you know, we're not slackers at our jobs. We would really like to break the story of the Chinese Communist Party is directly controlling TikTok. Like, that would be the scoop of my life if I could get it. And, you know, without giving the game away, I've tried really bloody hard at trying to substantiate that story. Um, yeah. And there are, you know, there is a potential gap between what TikTok necessarily says in public and if you go by the letter of what they say then it is true and there may be some slight slippage bits of which may be in the book um this is the reality but they they don't have a, a bat phone to Xi Jinping like there's there's not like it's 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 not a case of Xi Jinping rings up this morning and says Charlie DeMello do this like it, it just it's it's completely unsubstantiated and people have tried really hard and even if it was which again is a massive leap which is completely unevidenced and nobody's been able to find that my argument has always been what exactly does the Chinese state get from knowing that your kid likes Nicki Minaj and actually dances to this this song or whatever like for one thing, you know, there's the argument that it's dangerous because potentially soldiers, US Army soldiers will use it on a military base and then China can actually get access to, you know, in the background they can see that there's a, I don't know, load of tanks flying past or whatever it is that they think. But then also that stuff is already posted on Facebook and YouTube and Twitter. Like we're not, we're not smart about our information security and our operational security. This stuff yeah. exists on platforms that they can see already. Yeah, I think that that's always been my argument, and what I've always looked at is the fact that, um, you know, TikTok, if anything, um, in my opinion, seems like quite a uh, slowed down, doesn't gather quite as much data as maybe you know Facebook and Google do, and actually seems quite like a, a liberating minimal ad experience compared to using facebook or something like that 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 makes me at least feel a lot more targeted as a consumer um you know when i'm when i'm using the platform uh but i think it's really really interesting that uh it, it i look at other companies in china that have big influence over the world like tencent for example that owns loads of the large gaming companies um and it seems like uh, you know, Donald Trump just wanted somebody to pick a fight with. Um, do you think, uh, you know, now, um, and we're, we're filming this in February, so uh, not 100% sure when this is coming out and things are very likely to have changed by then. But do you think that, you know, Biden is going to take uh, the same stance as Trump or do you think this is going to sort of shift into the background? No, I think... Again, this is a story that is very much developing. And mm -hmm. when 
Biden came into power in the run-up to Biden coming into power, I was, you know, speaking to a lot of the sources that I have that are kind of lobbyists and people like that in Washington, D.C. to say, do we have any idea what the incoming administration's approach to this stuff is? And they said, not really. We have no idea. They've got more important things that they need to focus on. You know, there are huge not just outside of technology, but in the world of technology, there are huge issues for the Biden administration that yeah. I think are far more significant in their entry than do we need to ban this video app or not? So you know, I would be very surprised if, um, if they were as, uh, if they came down as significantly on TikTok as Donald Trump did, and that's largely because, you know, Ironically, a large part of the allegations against TikTok by Donald Trump seem to be really trumped up in a, in a, in a sort of odd way. Um, there is kind of the idea of some element of protectionism. You know, one of the big US exports is its technology. We all have to follow the rules of the road on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and things like that. And those are American companies. and there is something important about having the say of the future direction of social media, the World Wide Web and the internet that I think the Biden administration wouldn't want to lose out on. But I can't see them doing that without evidence. And the evidence, as far as we can tell, doesn't exist. So given this growth of, of, of TikTok and, and also, you know, hopefully that, that there will be some kind of clarity around the, the topics that you've just been discussing. What, what is it about it that has meant that it's grown so quickly? And also, where, where's it going? Is it going to end up in our front rooms? Are we all going to be gathered around the TV watching TikToks on a TV or is it just going to stay on the, on the handset? already on our TVs. This is the yeah. joy of it, Lizzie. Is um, you know, I, I broke the news. Will that, with will, the, that, will that actually, you know, yeah, yeah. change our behaviours? Yeah, I think you know. Again, it's it's kind of gazing into a crystal ball and seeing what the future holds, and you know, you can very confidently prognosticate about the future and end up looking really stupid. But you know, if you want to take it as a very simplistic, um idea and you know, again this is overly simplistic so there are lots of key differences but you can look at the path that youtube charted which is starting off with very much user-generated content really short video not long duration not hugely professional then suddenly you get the extension of the maximum length of video beyond 10 minutes and that opens up new opportunities you get money coming in you get business acumen coming in you get MCNs and hangers-on and production companies and agents that came into YouTube and suddenly this space becomes professionalized and um, celebrities start to join it and you get the rise of what looks kind of like TV formats on YouTube in repeated series um, while you also have the in-depth documentaries you know, by Shane Dawson and others. And then you get the shift away from watching YouTube on your laptops or your desktops to watching it on your smartphones with the shorter stuff to then the extent is now that, I can't remember the exact data, but 2020 was a record breaking year for YouTube. Um, Susan Majewski put in a, a letter to creators at the start of 2021 
it was a record-breaking year for people watching YouTube on their TVs. And you know, if we take the argument that TikTok is learning from YouTube's past and just doing it far quicker, you know, we're seeing the there's rumours of the um, maximum video length allowable on TikTok extending. There's a few creators that have kind of figured out um, uh, a really janky way of actually getting around the video length limit, where you can you can share I think as like a draft, and then you can post it from your drafts or something like that, and it means that you know you can go beyond the maximum video length. And then obviously, yeah, the TikTok thing on TVs. Um, you know, I, I spoke to Rich Waterworth about that exclusively for Wired about a month ago, so in, in January. You know, it's on all smart TVs that run Android now in Europe. Uh, sorry, in the UK, in France, and in Germany. The implication from speaking to Rich for that story was that that's the start of many that will be doing this. And so I think, you know, we already see from the creators there is a desire to maybe extend their content to kind of present different formats you you look at the demelias and the fact that they're on youtube and doing kind of reality tv long form stuff now as well and you you see that there is a desire amongst the creator base to maybe have longer length more considered more bloggy style of content and there's also a desire from the app to keep people more engaged and more interested so it makes sense that they would try and do that and you, know, you see it in the rise of the live streaming again as i said look at douyin and see what happens for tiktok in a few months time in live streaming is huge on douyin and people will be on there for hours you know, engaging with their audience so long form content already is kind of on tiktok anyway so so looking at the demographics if we're getting more long form stuff are the demographics shifting of of who's consuming it and who's also um creating it because we you know when it when it started out it was it was associated very much with a younger demographic but in order to build those audiences out, in order to build the actual offer out, surely you need to grow your user base as well. So the demographics must be playing into that. And what are you seeing with the shifts of the demographics? Yeah, I mean, you, you see that in, in many different ways. You see that both in terms of the type of content that is on there. So you know, there's been this big educational push and there's, you know, you see less lip syncing and less kind of live young girls dancing to the latest songs you see you know the type of content that is promoted to the average user is designed to i think try and convince people that actually hey we're not just this teenager kiddie app anymore um just loading up uh an internal document that i'm not meant to have so you know, TikTok says 39% of their users in the UK as of last summer were 18 to 24, 24% of 25 to 34, and then about 20% were over the age of 35. Um, again, that has changed uh, since now. Um, it is older already, and it continues to be older as more people come on. You know, the, the perfect example that I can give that is a really kind of a common cultural touchstone and it's one that I hate because I, I really I 
she strongly disliked the idea that mainstream celebrities just come onto these user-generated platforms and just plonk themselves down and say, now I'm the big deal. And generally what happens is the social media platforms follow them and kind of revolve around their, their magnetic pull. But you know, two of the biggest UK TikTokers are Gordon and Tilly Ramsey. <clears throat> and you know, Tilly Ramsey is designed to appeal to the core original TikTok user base. Gordon Ramsay is there for the mums and the dads who say, what is this app? My kid's on it all the time. Let me try it out. Oh, look, I can watch Gordon Ramsay roast a bunch of people cooking stuff. That's, that's kind of the, the two faces of TikTok, I think. Yeah, I, you see, I think, a lot of um, Gordon and Tilly in TikTok adverts and things like that, particularly in the UK. Um, I find it very um, sort of interesting to see how it plays out. Do you think, though, that there is... because if I sort of go back to my use case of TikTok, I mean, I think I've had TikTok before it was even TikTok when it was Musical.ly. Um, my account is that old on there. Um, do you think that there's necessarily a demand for that sort of longer form content from that, you know, from the TikTok audience? Um, or do you, do you see it more as a general play for TikTok to sort of compete with YouTube? I think, you know, I think there is a demand for it. Not maybe you know, whether or not the demand has to be on the app is another thing entirely, but, you know, we know that creators, smart creators nowadays, even post, you know, the adpocalypse on YouTube, they know that they have to diversify their content, yeah. they have to put multiple eggs in different baskets. And so you, you see, you know, popular TikTok creators who will do longer form content on YouTube and who will have stuff on Instagram and stuff on Snapchat. And that audience follows them around. It's, it's not as if um, the TikTok user base is necessarily only interested in short-form content. If it's an engaging creator that they enjoy and that they like, they will follow them anywhere and they will pretty much watch anything. So yeah. I think TikTok would potentially be leaving money and engagement and interest on the table if they didn't try and pursue the longer-form stuff just because everybody else will try it anyway yeah so you know touching on sort of youtube and the sort of uh, cross-platform stuff we've obviously seen um a kind of huge rise in essentially um tiktok knockoffs from all of the other social media um platforms i don't know what your opinion is but in my opinion the most promising one looks to be youtube shorts um itself uh you know i think um, in my opinion, Instagram reels and that sort of thing is a bit of a joke um, and, and mainly consists of people uploading uh, pre-existing TikToks onto the platform. But I, from what I've seen from early YouTube shorts, at least, is that, that there's actually a rise of people creating more unique content for YouTube. Um, do you think YouTube and YouTube shorts could be uh, a considerable issue and a considerable problem for TikTok going forward? I mean, YouTube is so enormous in every way that if they decide to get into something, not least because they have better experience of online video, you know, lest we forget, you know, Instagram has the connection to Facebook and Facebook Watch has been an absolute flop. And, you know, Facebook has tried before to try and overtake YouTube, but failed. YouTube Shorts is, as you say, probably the most interesting competitor to TikTok, I'm still not convinced that 
any of those kind of TikTok lookalikes manage to differentiate themselves in a meaningful way. I mean, mm-hmm. you, know, you need a creator community that can really produce unique content that you can't get anywhere else if you want to distinguish yourself as being different from a TikTok. And I guess that, that requires having a, a large user base that is willing to throw stuff out of the wall, which, which YouTube does have. And also, you know, creators who are confident enough in their abilities to do that, which YouTube has. Yeah, as you say, Instagram is um, hilarious. You know, when they when they said that they would be banning any, they wouldn't allow any content that had a TikTok watermark on it um, on Reels a few weeks ago. I, I tweeted something like, "Well, there goes seventy percent of Instagram Reels content." You know, yeah. One stroke, and it, it is. Yeah, it, they've rushed it. It's the classic Mark Zuckerberg see something really popular decides to copy it and then doesn't always do it very well i think as of today he's he i think i think it was yesterday or something like that they announced that they're making the competitor cameo which is a popular site um for creators to essentially send video messages to their 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 sort of favorite fans um for a fee and also as well i think there's already talks of facebook competing with clubhouse um and i mean Twitter has been doing very similar stuff. I find it very interesting, the fact that these more, shall we say, legacy social media channels are now trying to compete and stay up with the time. You know, I think my biggest issue generally, um, and I think YouTube found this when they tried to shift uh, to do their originals, um, is, is the fact that I think people go to different social media platforms for a core purpose and don't necessarily like to look too far out of that. So, you know, you go to Instagram to look at photographs. Um, uh, I don't know who goes to Facebook anymore. I don't go to Facebook anymore. But And you go to YouTube for more longer form content. And then, you know, for me at least, I go um, and sit on TikTok for 10 minutes, you know, when I'm in between doing things or I've got, you know, some time to kill. And, you know, I wonder what's kind of your opinion on that that sort of cross compatibility because i think you know for me at least i'm going to use the example of uh, david dobrik who for our audience that don't know you definitely should know about david dobrik he's one of the most if not the most relevant creators in the world and david dobrik originally found his career on vine then he shifted heavily over to youtube um he's always had like a presence i believe on twitter and on instagram but more recently particularly in the last year since the pandemic and his content stopped he's moved over to tiktok um but i i think he provides a very different type of offering for each platform he goes onto, and it feels distinctively david dobrik but also each thing feels relevant um do you think that there's many creators that are able to do that and do you think that actually you know instagram will actually get away or youtube will get away in the long run with essentially trying to compete with with different platforms when they're not necessarily serving what users want from them i think it's probably exhausting to have to divide yourself up in each different way for each different platform i mean david dobrik's Good at that. That's because David Dobrik is basically superhuman, as far as I can tell. He <laughs> seems to do a billion one different things. But, you know, it's also you know, one of the interesting parallels is that not everybody is able to actually be an all rounder. Um, mm-hmm. you know, 
they are distinctly different skills and you you see this you know like the number with the best will in the world the number of youtube creators who have been tried out as being tv presenters and who have just been absolutely cringeworthy is really fascinating because it is a different style of presentation you know reading an auto cue is very different to extemporaneizing a a sort of YouTube video or something like that. You, the fact that you have feedback in your ear, the fact that you have lights that are even more industrial in a TV set and all of these people milling around makes it a really different skill. So you know, I think it's it's a challenge for creators to be really good at doing all of that. You know, I, I am, in the book, I interview a sort of relatively big uh, TikToker from Canada who also runs a YouTube channel, um, but her YouTube channel is is kind of there as a prestige backup type thing. But she's she you know, she herself admits she's not amazing at YouTube. It's a very different skill set. She can't she struggles to keep the attention and to keep the energy up for you know for 10 minutes whereas for a 15 or 20 second video on tiktok she's more than capable of doing that and she's very good at it so i think you know it's it's kind of the you know the idea of like well why is everything that Ant and deck does popular or you know why does david o'leary present every single tv show it's because you can plug those people in in a way that you know lots of other people can't succeed so it's kind of being a utility player and being able to put your hand to everything which i think a lot of digital creators don't have because they are so focused on one single platform yeah and I mean, I, 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 i've been seeing i've been listening a lot to clubhouse recently just to kind of immerse myself in it and understand what it's about and what has struck me is the the it's it, people are on there for hours and hours and hours and this and i'm i'm struggling to find value with the even though it's you know very very new we're very new on it and finding the value within um clubhouse has been a has been a challenge for me when i find something to listen to i'll occasionally drop in but it's it's this i think that something like clubhouse there are people there that need to we need to work out what its value is yet because it just seems to be clubhouse for clubhouse. And when you are, when it's another, it's a fascinating platform. You know, it really is fascinating having the, the spoken word as the, as the social media platform. But when you're in those situations, um, finding value is the difficult thing for me with, with clubhouse. Now I know it's there because I've heard so many other people say how valuable it is, but it's finding the time to find those things. And that's, that's my struggle with, whereas with something like TikTok, it's visual and you can, absolutely see the value immediately and that that's just I, I'm just I wonder what your views are on how you know can, how the clubhouse can find value or people can find value in clubhouse compared to this absolute immediate visual thing with the TikTok and the Twitters and the you know and the Instagrams yeah I mean I I hate clubhouse I don't see the point it's it's like the worst kind of tech bro talking shop where people are sexist and racist on it. So I, I don't to the point of it. Um, but it, you know, it is, 
yeah, it's talk radio for talk for tech bros, isn't it? Um, but it, it, you know, there are elements of interesting people doing stuff on there. So people that do like Clubhouse and have kind of proselytized it to me talk about the fact that you can listen to someone doing lullabies halfway around the world every evening. And you know, that's quite a unique way of doing stuff rather than just, I'm a white man who wears a suit and has a lot of money and here are my thoughts on what you should uh, see as the future like that's that's you to me what clubhouse. The same clubhouse i have i think yeah well it's just that's what clubhouse is i think exactly. <laughs> um um but you know it, it's interesting because as you say it's it's um tiktok is so distinct in that it is it's you know it, it's it's a video platform but it's also very different to other video platforms and that is by design so when um, ByteDance were coming up with the idea of how do we actually develop TikTok. They very consciously downloaded every single uh, uh, short-form video app that was available on the app stores in China you know, at the time that they were developing it. And that was something like, I think, 140 different apps. And they, they systematically went through it as a team and they basically said, what do we like about this and what don't we like about this? What is this good feature? What is that bad feature? And they basically made this massive table and they took all of the ticks that they liked and they took all of those features and they put it into their own app. Um, you know, so that's why you have full screen immersive video. That's why you have very little on screen furniture. That's why you have the configuration of the buttons to like and to share and to comment in the sequence that they are. It's all designed and very carefully A-B tested based on what they like about predecessors stuff. And that's what makes it unique is, and it's partly why you know, it makes it unique and that's why everybody else, all of the competitors, theirs looks exactly the same because they've managed to hit on that winning formula in a way that maybe Clubhouse might not be able to. Yeah, I think, I think it's, it's, it's super, super interesting to see actually just how good of a product experience TikTok is. Um, and, you know, you kind of, in my opinion at least, which is really, I feel like you want out of a, a sort of, when you're watching content, like I, I think fundamentally I don't really care where I watch the content. You just want to be able to serve and find it. Is that TikTok serves and finds you the content that you want. And okay, the algorithm isn't perfect. I feel like you always get those odd ones in your feed that you just like, why the hell are you showing me this? But I think that they they you kind of forget about the fact that you're in the product experience when you're just so focused on what the creator wants to go for. Um so sort of focusing um, sort of finally, because I'm aware we haven't got too much time left uh, around um, the creator, creator ecosystem. Um, a kind of quote I like is, is um, what Andy Warhol said, which is that everybody will be famous for 15 minutes. Um, and I think, you know, TikTok in some ways has made that 15 seconds. Um, and I think I always find uh, that, that there isn't too many TikTok creators that uh, I kind of stick to and that I watch, you know, significant amounts of. Uh, I very much rely off of the algorithm more than YouTube and other platforms. You know, um, I, I, I in some way am quite creator um, agnostic. Um, do you think that, um, but you know, on the other side of that, I might follow a lot of creators or like, you know, random videos. Do you think that that gives an illusion to creators, you know, of, of fame or too much fame? Um, and 
Uh, I know numbers you can reach on TikTok could be significantly more than you'd be able to transfer over to other platforms. So are, you know, people following on TikTok not as engaged as, say, subscribers on YouTube? I think, yeah, I think that um, the way that the app is designed is, ironically, it is what YouTube is kind of like now, but what it wasn't set up as. So YouTube is very much personality driven initially it was focused on subscribers everybody now knows that subscribers are basically a dead metric on there yeah. um, but you know, what, is, what is interesting is that you know, TikTok doesn't really do that like the, the layout of the app puts the following page you know out of the first bit you are always looking at the for you feed and so from that I think you're kind of encouraged to it's almost like a drive-by. You're driving by your favourite creators, but you're not necessarily stopping or pulling in at where they live and actually getting to know them as much, which means that the fame can often be a little bit tenuous and it can be fleeting in some ways. It is interesting, as you point out, that the power of the algorithm, the, the propulsive power of the For You page, to actually push someone into kind of a superstardom in terms of their reach is huge. Um, but it is worth pointing out that that is a tap that can be turned on and off. And because people don't necessarily follow as much on TikTok as they might do on other platforms, um, it does mean that if you fall out of favour, then you know, you're in a lot of trouble, which I think is why... Um, you know, I, I do keep coming back to this idea that there are lots of precedents in YouTube that TikTok is learning from. And you know, the, the big kind of chaotic moment that we had, you know, four or five years ago on YouTube of you know, this idea of you need to build many boats that you can float on in case this one starts sinking is even more so with TikTok because it doesn't, it's not driven as much by personality. So, you know, I, I, I kind of hang out in a lot of creator groups, both big and small, and there's always this, they have this huge tension because, you know, we, we talked earlier about like, you know, the algorithm issue. And if you get enough creators in a room, then eventually the discussion will go towards the algorithm and you hear all these wild theories about how you mustn't anger the algorithm gods and things like that and some of the conversations that they these tiktok creators have um in these groups is they know that that is the fatal flaw with tiktok is that it doesn't build them that audience and they know that they need to diversify it but they're so petrified that if they mention instagram in a video or you know, they, they put in their bio, follow me on Instagram and then point down to the, the button or their link tree or whatever. They're so petrified that doing that will kind of somehow get picked up in a content moderation queue and will mean that they get shadow banned, which I'm, I'm, I fundamentally don't agree that there is a thing <laughs> called a shadow ban. But anyway, you know, people like to think there is. Mm -hmm. That they don't do it. And, and so you know, they know that this is the issue. They're kind of trapped like a beetle they they're big but they're not big enough they know that they need to push people off there but they can't it's it's a really complicated one that's 
why whenever anybody says would you ever be a great i'm like god no because it's far too stressful and far too much hard work i think it's really interesting you speak about shadow man and i i similarly agree with you that i think it's just an illusion that people create in their head i don't think it's an actual you know sort of consequence of anything um but one of the the things that happened um when the creator fund launched was a significant amount of people believed or had the assumption that um when they were receiving money from the creator fund essentially they were getting shadow banned so tiktok didn't have to pay them out as much um now i i don't think the creator fund is a particularly sustainable way to to make money on tiktok um but how have you seen in the ecosystem um people making money um through tiktok merch 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 it's the same it's the same ways that they do on any other platform is they you know <laughs> some people make a little bit of money through the live stream gifting process you know and mm-hmm. one creator that i spoke to who she's quite popular on the app in the uk um but she she knows bits of the app and keeps discovering new bits um she did a live stream once and she was like wow i made 20 pounds in an hour on this thing it's like that's cool but like that's not sustainable is it really um but you, you know, they do they do it in the same way that um any digital creator nowadays does is they they diversify they build a business they build a brand out of it they you know they make t-shirts they sell perfumes they partner with duncan to make another coffee um <laughs> they they you know what's really interesting is that there is kind of an increasing um adoption of kind of the Casper Lee model of, of being a creator which is actually you make your money and then you become a business person you then start in, you start investing in stuff and he's got the, the creator investment club and then there's a, a new one called Atelier in the US I think which is similar like you know these people are the 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 common response I always say when I'm asked like about what digital creators are and it's it's a really common misconception i think is that lots of people equate them with celebrities they think digital creators are celebrities and they they are in a way because they're famous they're they're on screen they're on screen talent but actually what they are is they're entrepreneurs because they are building businesses startup businesses very small businesses with one or two or three people initially and then potentially growing out to be dozens or hundreds of people but they're running a business they're not just celebrities what you see on camera is only one tenth of the amount of the work that they're doing i think people often forget that so you know diversifying your business in every single way i think is is crucially important and it's part of the sort of creator's playbook in, in 2021 we particularly i think um lizzie and i we we run studio b and i think alongside of that we've tried to work with creators in a much more inclusive way because i very much agree with you in some sense that a lot of creators just aren't suited to go and present sort of mainstream programming and things like that and i think a lot of that comes down to the disconnects of what the perception of mainstream programming is um and you know the thing that saddens me and we've tried to really differentiate ourselves with is the fact that a lot of the time you know creators are literally just brought in to sort of host a show when in our opinion they have probably 95 percent of their skill set is actually not in the hosting and putting it in front it's actually a lot more in 
you know understanding how to engage people and you know i think what's commonly misunderstood is the fact that these people essentially are sort of self created producers and directors and camera people and editors um and they have such a wider skill set um i think that that is really underappreciated and i i know that you know applies maybe a lot more closely with youtubers than tiktok creators but i think tiktok creators have a very different skill set in some regards to youtubers um but going slightly back to sort of the money thing has there been sort of a a standout very interesting sort of situation where you've seen somebody make money uh, on tiktok there's, there's not been a kind of mr beast style um mm -hmm. huge moment yet i don't think i mean I th to me the thing that is most interesting to look at in that space is eventually someone is going to make a ridiculous amount of money on a live stream like there's going to be it's going to yeah. be kind of like a twitch style follow you know party or whatever like that where people start to donate and it gets ridiculous and then it builds up its own head of steam that's probably the way that it'll work i mean um you know, people are making decent money like you know a lot of a lot of sources they don't like to put their names to it but they, they share with me their creative fund stuff and i agree that it's it's not sustainable in the long run because it is just tiktok throwing money at a, a thing in order to make sure that it keeps its creators but they they make quite a lot even if it, you know, even if we're talking about what 0.04 cents or something like that per hundred thousand views or whatever it is, I can't remember exactly. It might be four cents. Um, when you're a big creator, and you know, I do speak to some big creators, that that is enough money to survive on. It's money that me as a poor journalist with books that needs to be sold. I I wouldn't mind that money to be honest. Yeah. Uh, well, I've got one final question, uh, and. Uh, it's kind of a completely out there question, but um, who are some of your favourite TikTok creators at the moment? There's, there's one that I, I really love, and it's kind of interesting because I'm becoming more keen on looking at the way that platforms can diversify the people that they show to audiences. And the guy is called Glenn Cooney. Um, he's a dad based in the UK. He's got a sort of two point something million followers on the app at the minute. I think he's he's at this Tourette's guy, this dot Tourette's let me check. Yeah, this dot Tourette's guy. Um and he, he's a guy with Tourette's. And he, he posts videos of his life with Tourette's and they're both hilarious but also really important in raising awareness because he'll make a cake with his kid and he'll be throwing flour everywhere and he'll say stupid stuff and he'll almost chop his head off with his knife or something like that. But it, like it's it's raising awareness of the fact that this is an issue for many people and that they survive and they exist and it's just kind of heartening to see although he did recently um get a short suspension for uh saying something as a Tourette sufferer that someone thought was hate speech or something like that when it got very misconstrued so he's also been caught up in the, the difficulties of the uh the tiktok content moderation system yeah, I find um, some of the sort of inclusion and increase of uh, diverse backgrounds. I mean, I've been watching this chap, I can't remember his name for the life of me, but he has a robotic arm. Um, I don't know if you've seen him and he and I think that there's such a huge, exciting, diverse 
amount of people that um, I think TikTok exposes you to. Yeah. But yeah. Well, thank you so much, Chris, um, for your time today. Uh, it's been lovely chatting to you. Uh, and it's been, um, I think, really interesting to learn a lot more about TikTok and things like that. Um, now, obviously, we've got a book coming out. Uh, and that's probably going to be the Bible for all things TikTok. Um, do you want to tell our audience a bit more about when your book's coming out and where people can buy it? Yeah, it's coming out July the 7th. Uh, it's called TikTok Boom. China, the US, and the superpower race for social media. You can find it on Amazon or Canbury Press, so canburypress.com. Uh, yeah, I will finish it eventually. It's been a long time coming and things keep changing, which isn't fun. So if everybody can just stop what they're doing with TikTok for six months <laughs> or so, that would be great. Where can people find out about you? And what, yeah. what's coming up for you in the future? What have you got, apart from finishing this book? <laughs> Finishing this book than sleeping is okay. going to be what I see. And no, I mean, I, I, I stupidly sent in an idea to my agent for the third book, which is about tech and the pandemic, which will be interesting. Well, I might need a little break, I think. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah, people can find me. I don't. I, I am, I'm on Instagram, but I'm not very good at Instagram. I'm on Clubhouse, but as I said, I hate that. The main place that I am is Twitter, which is at Stokel, which is S T O K E L. So you're, so you're not on TikTok? I am on TikTok, but I don't post on TikTok. <laughs> I'm an old man. It would be embarrassing. Fair enough. Well, thank you very much. Um, and thank you for everyone listening um, today. Thank you. I'm Lizzie Hodgson. And I'm Brian Ruff. And you can find out more about the ZX Spectrum on Apple, on Anchor, and also now on YouTube. A Studio B production.